Trust is lacking in many aspects of life. But one of the reasons for this is because of people's inability and corporations' inability to apologize. People don't want to go to a place where they may need to. Apologies create trust. In good relationships, you don't need to meet in the middle. You need trust. And sometimes trust enables conflict. And with conflict, we get resolutions. Without apologies from corporations or individuals, we never get to that spot. We stay in our insecurity bubbles and we never get to the vulnerability and generosity that can make us great people. This is my case with Best Buy. I'm seeing right now where Best Buy has a corporate playbook that lacks trust of the consumer because they refuse to apologize to me. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I believe that we can all learn from this. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. As always, check out all of my colleagues' work here on the network at americaoutloud.news. We check out plenty of articles every day of the week, as well as the America Out Loud talk radio network 24-7. You can download that on all of your favorite app devices in their app stores, and you can stay really in tune with America First principles and shows. Let's get straight to it. You heard at the top that we are looking at an issue of accountability through apologizing. And I believe that there's a corporate playbook out there right now that states that the companies should not be apologizing when they make a mistake. They see it as a sign of weakness. They don't want to say sorry because they don't believe that it will help their brand. So let me rewind to what happened over the weekend. I alluded to it on Monday's show, but I didn't give a lot of details. Why? Because quite honestly, I just had decided I'm not going to shop with Best Buy anymore after my experience. But then they reached out to me on Twitter and they said that they would like to speak with me regarding the situation. They said, thanks for reaching out. We can understand having a purchase unexpectedly be denied. Wouldn't be welcome news. I'd like to look into this with you. Can you DM your full name, your phone number, your email address, and details on what happened? Thank you, Melissa. So I decided to write Melissa back. See, I believe that when I am going to put somebody on blast, that they deserve to have the entire story, so that way they can respond appropriately. And all I wanted out of this entire equation was an apology but I didn't get an apology from Best Buy. Instead, I got a long-winded response. So first, let me explain what happened. Over the weekend, I stepped into Best Buy because I wanted to get a brand new computer monitor and I had a bad experience ordering off Amazon with not seeing a monitor beforehand. So I figured this would help alleviate that if I could find something that I could see and know that it was what I wanted. And I found this ultra wide monitor that was made by LG, had an OLED screen. It was really beautiful. It was awesome, but it was over a thousand dollars. And I didn't want to spend a thousand dollars if it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Make a long story short, they couldn't check me out because their computer systems were down. So I went back at 8.30 PM about a half hour before they were to close. 
At that point in time, when I walked in, the gentleman said, hey, uh, you know, how can I help you? I said, you know, I'm just making sure that your computer systems are uh, up and running. I was here earlier. He said, oh, yeah, you can check out. But just so you know, there's 30 minutes before we close. I said, don't worry, I'll make it snappy. I'll be in and out. I know what I'm doing. So I go over to the computer department. I wait for somebody to finally help me out. And a young kid who probably hasn't had another job outside of Best Buy is the person who comes over to help me. I ask him questions about this monitor. He has no idea how to answer them. He doesn't know about resolution. He's doing another job while not really paying attention to me. So I'm kind of a little frustrated, but I'm like, you know what, whatever. I ask him, can I take this thing back if I don't like it? Or is there a restocking fee? He says, yes, you have 15 days and you get full credit. So I'm satisfied with that answer. I decide, you know what, sir, let's purchase it. So I'm pretty excited. I'm getting my monitor for my brand new computer. It's going to look beautiful in, in, in my room. I can't wait to get it home and I can record my American Bolden episode for Monday. However, record scratch, 10 minutes later, he comes out with the monitor and he goes to check me out. Now, this is all really important for why I'm talking about why the importance of apologies is something that we need to establish here. So when he goes to check me out, he cannot get my account to come up. And I have a Best Buy membership for decades. I've been shopping there since the 90s. Make a long story short, he says, I'd hate for you to check out this way without getting credit for this purchase since it's over $1,000. I want you to make sure you get your points because they give you gift cards. So he calls his manager. His manager looks up. She can't find me. So I prove to him on the app that I have an account and I show him my ID. He can find me on his phone, but he cannot find me in the system. So he says to me, hey, you have the app right there. Why don't you order through the app? I said, oh, I can do that. He said, yeah, just order the monitor and then you can leave that way. So I'm following the employee's advice that I can purchase this through the app. He watches over top my shoulder. At one point, I get to a point where it says that this one has to be shipped. It won't be able to be at the store. So I questioned that. He goes, oh, well, you can just switch it here. And so I switch it. So it's right at the store and I check out. About $1,400 total between the monitor and this other purchase that was with it come out of my account. I show it to him and I said, okay, here you go. Now I'm expecting him to hand me the monitor, hand me my HDMI uh, cords and stuff and be outside the door. But instead he goes, oh, hold on a second. I need to wait for my manager. Now it's almost nine o'clock and I'm thinking, why do you got to wait for your manager? But make a long story short, the manager comes over and she's looking at me kind of smiling and laughing, I guess because she wants me out of the store or whatever. And so she gives me this very condescending tone and she goes, what's going on to the employee and to myself? The employee at this point, now he's a young kid, he just stands there. So I spoke up and I said, I just made this purchase and he needs you to help me check out. And she laughs and she goes, well, the store is closed at 9 p.m. and I can't process that order until tomorrow now. So I explained that this boy just told me to make the purchase this way because he couldn't process my membership account and I showed him the receipt and I even went into my bank account to say, hey, the money's out of my account now. And she's like, sorry, sir, but that's a pickup order for tomorrow and I can't let this monitor go until corporate clears it. So I asked, you know, why wouldn't he just have explained that to me? He's the one that told me I could check out. Make a long story short, not that this is like life-changing bad stuff, but it goes into the customer service and the need for apologies. So I asked, you know, why I was told after he called the manager, this was an acceptable way. And I didn't want to drive back a third time to the store, especially with gas prices and she wouldn't budge. So I offered to buy it outright if she could just refund my money. But she said, since the store closed at 9 p.m., she was now unable to refund me and I'd need to come back tomorrow. That was unacceptable to me. You have $1,400 of my money, Best Buy. I want my money back and we're going to cancel this transaction. So I was looking for solutions. She was not. She just wanted me out of the store to go home. So I asked her to give me the cash for the refund and she said she was unable to use the system. 
And I was refusing to come back the next day. We needed to settle this right then and now. And she told me she could not. Then another employee walked over and advised me that I just canceled the purchase on the app. He walked me through it. And by 9.02 PM, I reversed the purchase. But see, there's two issues that are glaring here that I believe Best Buy should apologize for. One, Best Buy employees used to be immaculately trained in each of their departments. I've been going to Best Buy, as I said, for about three decades. Now, this has not been the case since before the pandemic. Only a few departments are actually knowledgeable at this point in time on where they are staffed. And if a product's on display, I believe that employees should be able to speak on it, much like this monitor. Second, I could have helped the manager with several solutions. I tried to offer them, but she just wanted me out of the store. She wasn't looking to make things right. She was looking to close her business for the night. And her employee gave me bad advice. She could have refunded me immediately via the app, and I could have just purchased without the membership rewards and entered the purchase later. But she didn't want to offer that. So I called the store. The store never called me back. So I put Best Buy on blast. I put Best Buy on blast on my Twitter feed and said basically that I refused to ever shop there again. Well, Best Buy reached out to me. And when they reached out to me, they asked for what is my story? Well, they said, you know, they can understand having a purchase unexpectedly denied wouldn't be welcome news. What they didn't understand was all the other parts of the condescending tone of the manager or the poor training of their employees. So I decided to tell this story to them yesterday in a Twitter message via DM the way that they asked me to send it. I didn't post it publicly, although the show is public now, but that's because of their piss poor response back to me. So after I tell them, I say, thanks for reaching out and allowing me to make you aware of this experience in one of your stores. This is their response to me. I want you to hear what they left out. I of course will address it in my response. They write, hello again, Greg. Thanks again for sending these details regarding your recent store visit. I understand having systems not working correctly isn't a welcome situation, and I appreciate your understanding during your first visit. I'm not sure what was causing the system to not be able to locate your membership when you returned, but I do appreciate wanting to get such a big purchase attached to your account. The option to try to make the purchase in the app was a good one. However, there are two ways that this can be done. The first is using our mobile self-checkout option, where you scan the items you're purchasing in the app and then pay and digital receipt will be available to show at the door that you've paid. This does require selecting the self-checkout in the app to ensure the transaction process as an in-store sale. The second way of purchasing in the app is placing an online order to either be shipped to you or picked up in a store. This option is typically best used before visiting the store as there is some processing time before the store will even receive the order in their systems. And then they need to pick the items from their shelves and set them aside for you to pick up. Once the items are available, you receive an email saying that your order is ready to be picked up and then you'd go to the store. Now there's two more paragraphs to this, but I'm going to pause right here. You know what is not here yet? An apology. There's no, we're sorry this happened. There's no, we're sorry for the lack of training. So let's see if in the final two paragraphs, Best Buy tries to make things right and gives me what I want, which is just a simple apology. We made a mistake. We're not doing good customer service and we need to be better. That's what I want. Let's see if they do it. So she writes, from reviewing your information, appears that you ended up making the purchase using the second online ordering method. Per the order, the estimated ready date was September 17th, as it was so close to the store's closing time and there would not be enough time for the order to be transmitted to them or for them to pick up the items to make them available to you. I know it wasn't the answer that you were wanting at the time, but the employees were correct that with that type of order, their systems would not allow you to leave with the items that day. 
As a gesture of customer service and an invitation to shop with us again to complete your purchase, I'd like to offer to send you a $25 Best Buy gift card. I can either request this to be emailed to the email address that you provided, or if you prefer a physical card, I can have this mailed to you. If you share your mailing address with me, Melissa. <sighs> I still did not get an apology. The only thing that I want, I have no want to ever step foot in Best Buy ever again now. The relationship of trust is completely broken. See, I was ready to accept an apology and bridge a resolution, but their insecurity from the corporate playbook has kept me from being able to do this because they lack both vulnerability and true generosity. A $25 gift card does not fix their poor corporate customer policies. See, if I knew that they could apologize, I know that I can forgive. And that makes this entire environment more productive. It makes me less hostile and them less hostile over the situation. But when people are afraid to take actions and work together, there will be no working together in the future. And so this microcosm of Best Buy right now is exactly what's going on in our politics. It's exactly what's going on in our towns and our schools and our businesses. People want a scorecard. People want to use that as ammunition. But good relationships, they don't need that. They just need trust. In order to get trust, you need to be able to apologize. And this is, you know, the ultimate sin of omission. We're just not going to look at what was wrong to you. We're going to give you $25 and hope that we can buy you off and get you to forget about it. So this is what I wrote back to Melissa. I don't know if you're interested in this, if you're listening to the podcast right now and you're like, well, Greg's off on a rant on Best Buy. I think that this is a larger picture issue and that's why I wanted to spend time on it. And I appreciate you hanging in there with me. It's not about me venting about Best Buy. It's about me venting about poor corporate policies that are ruining everyday life, both in America and around the world. So I just wrote to her, Melissa, did you really need to explain each of these options to me? You know who should have explained this the store manager, or the store employee. I handled the purchase as instructed at the store. If that was a secondary option, I would have gladly done it. What you did not address was the poor management and employee training. You also never offered an apology for the tone and way I was inappropriately treated. Offering me a $25 gift card is nothing to me. What I want is for Best Buy to train better, offer sincere heartfelt apologies, and keep brick and mortar stores going in a positive direction. Your concern and response clearly missed the mark. Sadly, it was no better than my experience on Saturday. Disappointed. See, her response did not allow me to trust Best Buy ever again. I had stated I will never walk into the store again, and anyone that knows me knows I support brick and mortar, but I really love supporting small businesses, the people that make America go, right? Not big box stores, but small business. That stated, Amazon and all these other companies where you don't have a personal experience, we get to pick out something. I would rather people be employed at places like Best Buy, just like Home Depot, where I can go and I can get my appliances. I can go and get the items that I need for my home with knowledgeable resources that are well-trained. Best Buy is completely missing the mark. <laughs> she continues. She writes me back. This is right before the break here. I'm going to just hang in there with me on this. She said, Greg, I do apologize. My response wasn't what you were seeking. I don't know why the manager didn't give the right steps in making the in-app purchase so that you could leave with the items that day. I was giving the information to you so you'd be aware of what happened, especially if you ever need to make a purchase in the app again. Our employees certainly should be professional in all interactions with our customers. I'm also sending your feedback to the management over the store so they can review the experience and ensure that this is addressed with the employees involved as needed. My offer of the gift card does still stand. 
if you should choose to accept it. If there's anything else I can assist with, please let me know. Melissa, you know what you can still assist me with, Melissa? Acknowledging that your store and your employees did the wrong thing and apologizing for that. Not apologizing for your response. Yeah, your response completely missed the mark, but it missed the mark because you missed the apology. And when I asked you for the apology the second time by trying to train you on the way to handle things, you missed it again. Now, this is a big problem right now. Companies are taking advice from big business, big researchers. We saw this in a study from Arizona State University where a professor claimed that when companies said we're sorry, it does not make them look better in the short term. And as a result, they are avoiding it because they believe that when you think about a crisis or negative event, that the actions you take to defend yourself may be positive in protecting one's uh, reputation and negative in helping another reputation. So there's an ideal of conflict. I'm telling you, companies that are afraid of healthy conflict are going to fail. Companies can have all the reputations in the world, but if they don't train their employees and when they make a mistake, tell the people that are shopping with them, the consumers, we're sorry we made a mistake and be heartfelt in it, people can really sniff out authenticity from a mile away. And so if these companies out of the corporate playbook are saying, you know what, we will be weak if we apologize, is that now trickling down to other leadership? Are we seeing CEOs of these companies that are now trickling down to our politics? And is that the reason why our politics refuse to apologize when there's people that have bad takes on things? I really believe that that is a true possible problem. I believe we have a accountability problem between individuals right now. We have insecure people in society. And I know for a fact that insecure people cannot apologize. They can't accept that they might have wronged somebody else because of their own insecurity. They will feel even more insecure. I'm telling you the best way to become a more secure individual is to own in an honest and authentic way when you make a mistake, apologize for it, learn from it, and don't continue to repeat it. When you do that, you are establishing a relationship of trust. You are commissioning yourself with a brand, with uh, another human being, and you're getting yourself to the place that you need to be in order to have proper conflicts. See, without an apology, there can be no conflict. And without a conflict, there is no resolution. And the whole thing I wanted out of this entire thing is resolution, but I'm not able to get there. They want to give me a $25 gift card and pay me off and say, oh, that guy's happy now. We gave him $25. No, I'm not. I'm not happy. I want you to fix your corporate mess that you're creating. But I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. We have companies like Bud Light. Bud Light that right now is making really poor choices. Instead of giving heartfelt apologies, they doubled down on it. Yeah, I'm talking about Dylan Mulvaney. I know it's been absolutely months ago, but Bud Light is still dealing with that. And so I was shocked when I found out that Best Buy actually was also involved in a scandal. According to O'Keefe Media, uh, James O'Keefe, he put out a uh, memo from August 9th that Best Buy was offering participants gaining critical skills that will enhance their leadership through a mini MBA-style curriculum. Talks will include strategy development, critical thinking, networking, and problem solving. That sounds awesome for Best Buy 
employees. The criteria was simple. He just had to be a salaried Best Buy employee. I mean, this would be helpful for that employee that was helping me out. You got to have work experience and more than one year in the current Best Buy role. I mean, he might have been able to take advantage of this and you have to identify as black, Latino, Hispanic, Asian, or Pacific Islander. No, no, he was Caucasian. So he didn't qualify for this. So maybe that's why I got such poor management at Best Buy. And the, the, the manager, she was Caucasian as well. So I guess she doesn't qualify for the mini MBA style curriculum that Best Buy was putting out there when they partnered with McKinsey and company on management training. So why is it only black, Latinos, Hispanics, Asians, and Pacific Islanders Best Buy are allowed to participate? Can you imagine if this read a little bit differently and just said that only uh, Caucasians and Latinos are allowed to participate? No Asians or Blacks allowed. Oh, you're taught about a total hellstorm coming your way. Now, this also seems very illegal, according to the discrimination of, you know, sex, gender, uh, your uh, origin of culture, uh, all that. I don't believe that that will stand the, the test of time. But this memo from Best Buy is absolutely bonkers. Because not only can they not apologize but they obviously have gone straight up racist, but on the opposite way. And yes, this is a racist policy. So Best Buy, I'm going to do something that I would never have recorded. I would never have recorded this episode. I would have just moved on and uh, never talked about it again, but you responded and you refused to apologize. I'm going to ask my listeners to boycott Best Buy at this point in time, not just because they refuse to apologize, but because they need to learn a lesson about the woke, I'm going to use in quotes, I hate using that word, the woke politics, obviously, that are now causing them to have poor management, right? I think that this is really important for us to point out. So I'm glad that I had this experience because now I know a store that I do not want to walk into. If you need to order something, see if you can find a mom and pop store that can get you the same exact thing. See if they'll honor uh, the pricing at Best Buy, just like Best Buy honors other people's pricing. I think it's really important, people. We need to finally stick up together and stand up against the insanity that's going on here. If they don't want to apologize, they don't want to have employees that are well-trained, irregardless of their race. Well, if that's the case, Best Buy, screw you. I hope no one shops there. Come join me in it. Ban Best Buy from your list of places that you're going. And there's no amount of money they could offer me. They could be like, you know what? That $1,400 you were spending, we're going to give you the monitor for free now. I don't care. I don't want your monitor. I don't want your blood money. I don't want this completely asinine company anywhere near me. So that's that. When I come back, we're going to get into a couple other things that still have me fired up. It's a conversation that my daughter had uh, with somebody and she was pretty fired up and, and now I'm fired up. And so it's just that type of day here. So we'll find out is uh, they, them a gender or a sex because that's the conversation my daughter had with me on the ride home. All right, everybody, make sure you go over to americaoutloud.store, check out all the different sponsors of the show. You can select something from them, and that would be awesome. I'll be right back. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. 
it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back, Bold American, second half of the show. Ran it on Best Buy a little bit there on that first half of the show, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we acknowledge that we need to have some type of uh, trust at this point in time. You know, we, we, we cannot continue to be around the egotistical individuals that refuse to apologize when they're wrong. True to realize that they are uh, just as accountable to the truth and likely that they're suffering from low self-esteem. Now, speaking of people that suffer from low self-esteem, <laughs> there's no tactful way for me to address this today as I get into it. But my daughter, we're in the car, we're talking, and she says to me, she's like, Dad, um, I'm curious you know, about the whole gender and sex conversation because I got in trouble today with a, a student because I told them that gender was based upon uh, male and female. And they said, no, that's sex. Gender is based upon how people feel. And I said to my daughter, I said, well, you know, there's an interesting thing that's going on here because there's a redefinition of what gender is based upon uh, culture, based upon politics. And so I, I wanted to start off by going to Black's Law, the Law Dictionary to find out how they define gender before I give my daughter really bad advice, right? I wanted to make sure I had a legal definition. And it says that gender is defined between men and women based on culturally and socially constructed mores, politics, and affairs. It says time and location give rise to a variety of local definitions. Contrast to what is defined as the biological sex of a living creature. So it's contrasted to biological sex. So that would say that this young woman that's talking to my daughter would be correct according to Black's law, except my daughter would be correct, stating that it's based upon politics and affairs and the time and location give rise to a variety of local definitions. So I found that even the legal dictionary, the, the, the gold standard for definitions of words falls short. They take the political correct version 
on this entire situation. But I'm left with the part where they're very clear that it's based on culturally and socially constructed mores, politics, and affairs. Now, when we talk about gender, right? Uh, mores, right? What's that mean? The morals, it's based upon the morals, the socially constructed morals and politics and affairs. Hmm. See, when I was growing up, we talked about sex and we talked about gender. And I'm not trying to be the old curmudgeon in the room. I'm simply pointing this out because maybe my listeners can identify with this. It's not stating that I'm right here. I'm simply trying to get through a point. But growing up, gender and sex was based upon X and Y chromosomes. That's all. And if you need a, a quick list history lesson, we know that the X chromosome comes from the mother, right? Every egg has a chromosome and that is only X. Now the sperm has a Y. And so if a Y sperm joins with the egg, we get a male. If an X uh, sperm combines with the egg, we have XX and we get a female. And that would become the gender, right? We knew that there was a chromosomal sex determination in all mammals, not just in, uh, you know, humans. Now, why do I point this out? Because I believe that we are changing the definition of gender purely based upon politics and the affairs of others. We are giving rise, as Black's Law Dictionary states, to that variety of local definitions. But why are we doing that? Well, I think for that, we need to go to research. And there's plenty of research that's been going on about the normalization and the popularization of mental illness and its impact on society. Have you noticed that it's become very, very common for people to say, I have depression. I've got anxiety. You know, I suffer with anxiety. Look, I, if you want to get on me about this, I do have anxiety. <laughs> like, I am a high-functioning anxiety individual. I know that about myself already. Me stating that to you is not me trying to normalize or to popularize that whatsoever. I'm just stating that I know what people are going through when they're going through this. And I don't believe it's a good thing to normalize this as if everybody should want to be high-functioning anxiety or low-functioning depressed or high-functioning depressed, how you see it. Mental illness cannot be a fad. But I got to be honest, as a teacher, as somebody who's worked in youth ministry, as somebody who's worked with our youth for decades in many different capacities, I do see where mental illness is turning into a fad. That teenagers and other individuals, they like to wear their mental illness as if it's a badge of pride. Which counselor are you seeing? Which psychologist are you seeing? And there's this part of me that's like proud in a sense that like, you know, hey, at least we're finally talking about mental health. But then there's a part of me that's very uneasy about it because that gives right to justification for people's sadness, for people's mood swings, for people's stresses, for people's worries, for normal emotions that are out there. And so while we had stigmas for a long period of time when I was growing up, we've done a lot of good work to destigmatize mental illness. But in destigmatizing all these mental illnesses, have we actually made them popular? Have we taken the good and the bad and with the calls for normalization of it, made society a little bit more empathetic 
and a lot more supportive. And when people are not supportive of mental illness, do we course correct and do we shout those people down? Now, what's that have to do with gender and sex? Look, if you're born with a penis, you are a male. If you feel that you have a penis and you are a female, the first thing I got to go to is the classification of body dysmorphia in the DSM. Psychologically, I need to look at that. Now, why do I need to look at that? Well, in case you didn't know my background, not only do I have a degree in television and film, but I also studied uh, with my master's over at Newman University in pastoral care and counseling, where I looked at the DSM. So I, I, I have this under my, my background as well. You look at body dysmorphia to find out, is this person dealing with a mental illness based upon how they feel? And I would say 99 times out of 100, yes, that is the case. There's going to be people that are born with both uh, uh, both body parts. They're going to be a hermaphrodite. Uh, and so then you could go to the conversation of, well, I feel more like this and less like that. That might be an option. But normally in those cases, the surgeon already has made that choice for that child early on. And so therefore I would support an individual that's going through that in wanting to change their, their sex and gender uh, via some type of assignment later in life. I really do, because I believe that is a unique case that you can see throughout uh, society. However, if you were born with a vagina and all of a sudden you're like, I'm a male, I'm going to get a penis put on and I'm going to live the rest of my life like a male because that's how I feel. Why is it that in normalization, we now have to be supportive of mental illness? And I don't mean supportive in the sense of, you know, we, we uh, are simply telling individuals, oh, that's so nice. That's so great. No, no, no. I mean, like, if you don't do that, you're canceled. Why? Just to create a more positive environment? At what point do you get people help for that type of behavior? At what point do you call out that your body dysmorphia is related to an abuse that you had in your life at some other point in time? At what point do you say, okay, I understand that you might be more open to suicide because of this, but we need to address the root cause of why you feel the way that you feel. Or is it because you can really be born with a penis and be a female? Or is it because you can really be born with a vagina and be a male? Now I'm looking at sex. I'm looking at gender. And while there is a fluidity to gender, right? It might be X, X, Y, but when that brain develops, yeah, sure. There's tomboys, there's girls that might like to play with trucks. Uh, there's boys that might like to play with kitchen sets and wear pink. Okay. There, there might be a fluidity there. I understand that, but to simply deny the fact of what you were given biologically, there's something mentally wrong with that, but we've normalized it over the last two decades. And no one's talking about this. No one's talking about since 2008, there are psychologists that have been trying to bring this to a normal conversation that yes, this is happening and we're seeing an uptick that <laughs> I just can't believe. And it, people are like, well, people had to stay silent before. No, 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 no. They didn't have to stay silent because if that was the case, then at the age of 44, I'd be surrounded by a bunch of people that changed their sex and genders at this point in time in their life. That didn't magically all of a sudden happen. Instead, I'm seeing people in their 20s. I'm seeing people in their teens. I'm seeing people younger than their teens with parents that are saying, we're not going to use he or she around them until they get old enough to decide for themselves. What? 
the your child was born with a sex and gender. Use it. You're causing abuse simply from psychological abuse and how you refuse to deal with things. And so, yes, we have a stigma, but we also have an impact on this. And then we got the media, right? We got how mental disorders are now being presented in the media. Most of the time, they're completely inaccurately portrayed. They're completely over-dramatized or they get romanticized. And that's a problem too. Like I remember when I was a teenager, I used to put X's on my hands, call myself straight edge because I didn't touch alcohol and I would go to punk rock concerts. It romanticized the straight edge lifestyle for me. Then I realized I was just going with the cool thing that I saw other people doing and trying to fit in instead of just being myself. Right. And so you got social media now, you got influencers, all people with probably their own mental health crises themselves, but they're all vying for people's attention. And they themselves are increasing the number of posts about mental illnesses and normalizing this and saying that you can't tell somebody that that's wrong. Mm -mm. Now, you can be a good human being here. And if somebody says to you, hey, you know what? Can you use this name? I don't prefer to be called that name. You don't need to have a judgment about that. Use whatever name people want to be called. And I would even go as far as like, if somebody gives you pronouns and stuff and you can, you can handle that, change the pronouns as well. I think that's an important thing too. meet people where they are, especially if you believe that it is mentally uh, an illness. If you believe that people are dealing with something, then the best thing you can do is help meet them where they are in that moment. That's not, you know, you consenting to insanity whatsoever. That is you being a kind and loving human being that all stated. If somebody wants to shout down my daughter during that conversation today and state that, you know, she's going to be a hateful person that they can't hang out with her because she feels that way about gender and sex, then who's the real hatred coming from? Who's the real person without tolerance coming from, without open uh, conversations? My daughter's willing to have that conversation with you, but she's rooted in science. Now, there's a lot of people right now, they want to be like, oh, well, you know, the science is changing on this. Really? At what point did the science change on this? Did it change because now we're all about feelings or all about facts? And why is it that the side of science that's all about facts (laughs) doesn't seem to be dealing with facts at this point in time? They're dealing with people's emotions. They're dealing with people's feelings. So can we stop popularizing? Can we stop normalizing this whole conversation around body dysmorphia and making it cool for kids. It's abusive. And can we stop the hormone therapy for for teenagers until they're 18? Uh, Can we stop the policies in places like California that want to be able to take parents away from their children? Should they uh, not support the gender and sex that uh, their kid feels like? because they're worried about some type of abuse that might happen. Can we, can we stop that? Can we stop the policies that different uh, local townships are putting in place in order to consent to the absolute insanity that's there? Really? Can we have a conversation instead? Because at the top of the show, I was talking about Best Buy. I was talking about the importance to be able to apologize and not just follow a corporate playbook without questioning. And right now it seems like a lot of psychologists out there are following the corporate playbook on psychology which is causing a lack of trust to the rest of society about what science is. It's the same authoritarian status that we saw with Dr. Fauci and the COVID vaccines, which by the way, they're now telling you these COVID vaccines aren't going to protect you against this next strand. Then now they have a brand new thing. It's nothing like the old one. Now you got to get the new one. Don't worry. There's no boost, whatever. See, 
when science undermines the trust of the public in this way because they go with what's pos- po- uh, popular and what's about the feelings, they got nothing left to stand on. And so we find ourselves in conflict that one side doesn't want to engage in. No one wants to have this conversation that I'm having today. Why don't they want to truly have that conversation? Because the resolution may not be in their favor. It may not be where they want to be. So all they can do instead is label you as a hateful and uh, person of hatred. That's all they have left. And I, I think that that's really, really wrong. I, I, I really got nothing else on that topic for you. I'd be happy to have anybody on the show that feels that I have a blind spot here that wants to talk to me about it and have an open and honest conversation about it. Um, I, I, I think that this is the largest problem we have in society right now is the normalization and the popularization of mental health crises. And in the final word of today's show, talking about a couple things that are going on, I just want to say that I've been t- telling you guys for a while, there's no way Joe Biden is going to make it to the next presidential run. And I, I'm going to stick by this. And I will apologize if I'm wrong, but I'm sticking by it at this point in time. He's going to drop out. He's dropping out because now the Democratic Party realizes they have a major problem on their hands, that he's getting old. And with his age, he also has increased scrutiny at this point in time on his son. And Joe's a family person. I believe that Joe will go ahead and pardon his son before dropping out of the race and no longer running. And I think that Gavin Newsom is going to just hop right on into that seat and take that position right afterwards. I believe that that's what's going to happen. Why do I feel this way? Well, I think the tea leaves are starting to come out there that he is starting to fall apart with his own base. CNN is starting to attack him. They're starting to say, well, you know, I think Joe, what's he doing over here? He's having a senior moment. Once the state media that's been propping him up starts attacking him, that tells me we finally have a turn coming. That doesn't necessarily make me happy either because I don't know what's next. And that makes me a little bit nervous. I hope that we have better candidates to choose from than what I've seen out of the candidates right now, but we're fast approaching. And then you got this final thing, the dress code from uh, Chuck Schumer. Well, Chuck Schumer has basically taken out the dress code of the Senate and he's thrown it out. The U.S. Senate will no longer enforce its dress code for its members. (sighs) Look, where is the decorum in society? You know, we have what I've said is an ethical problem with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene at times. I believe that we have an ethical crisis at times with Lauren Bobbert. But we're not going to make that ethical crisis better by chucking out the decorum that's long been established in our society, in the Senate, in Congress. This isn't your freaking gym, right? We're not going to lift weights, Senator. Fetterman, you shouldn't look like you just got done jogging in the park, which you're not really going to because you're, you're a pretty large guy, but you get the point. This shouldn't look like you just took a Zoom call during the pandemic in your home. Nope, you should dress for the job that you want. And the job that you wanted was to go to Washington, D.C. and represent the people. And that requires some business attire. That requires people to look professional to represent our country. And that also means that maybe these other individuals that look like clowns when they dress up there, like Senator Kristen Sinema, the independent from Arizona, wearing neon tiger prints and wigs, 
that, yeah, you need to dress properly too. This isn't just about Fetterman. This is about having a decorum where other countries look at us and know that we're serious. And looking at Fetterman and cinema, you guys are complete jackasses. Hope I honored your time well today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back on Friday with the recap with Chris Michaels. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. Thank you.